Hi, everybody. Craig here. Well, welcome to episode 22 of Think Relevance, the podcast. I uh, just want to mention a couple things before we jump into the show. Um, if you run over to the website at thinkrelevance.com, uh, check out the blog. Uh, you'll see a few things there. One of the things you'll see is where you can find relevancers in December 2012. Uh, a couple things have gone by, but we still have coming up Stuart Sierra speaking on the 13th of December at uh, the Science of Big Data in Philadelphia. Um, he'll be uh, speaking about Datomic, so check that out if you happen to be in the area. Um, the other thing you can find there is we have a discount code available for Stuart and Luke Vanderhart's new book, Closure Script Up and Running. Uh, the discount code is CJSUR, and you can use that over at O'Reilly's website. Um, today on the show, we have Timothy Baldridge, who is our newest employee. And one of the things that we talked to him about was what it's like to get hired at Relevance. If you are interested in getting hired at Relevance, uh, you can also go to the website, and I'm pretty sure that uh, you'll be able to figure out how to get in touch with us uh, to do that. We would love to talk to you. All right, with that, I will uh, let you go, and we'll jump into the show. Uh, it, was a, it was a very interesting one. Got to talk to Timothy about a couple things that uh, I've been wanting to uh, speak about with him for quite a while. So uh, enjoy, and thanks. Today is Friday, November 30th in 2012, and today I am joined by Timothy Baldridge. Welcome, Timothy. Thank you. All right, great to have you here, yeah. Um, so we'll get to why I want to have you on in a minute, but uh, we always start the podcast off by asking our guests to pick an intro song, which people have been listening to and, in fact, are listening to right now. So uh, what would you like us to uh, play for you? Uh, let's start with uh, Viva La Vida by Coldplay. All right, cool. Good deal. That's in the background right now. We'll... Uh, Get that going. Um, okay, cool. So, uh, so, so, Timothy, um, you are a developer here at Relevance, and in fact, you are one of our most recent hires. That is that right? Yes, yes. In fact, I think I'm the most recent uh, uh, right now. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that is generally a short-lived honor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, but uh, so, but I, the, the, that's actually one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. You and I got a chance to talk a little bit at. Um, Closure Conj, what was, I guess that was two weeks ago now, yeah. um, and uh, it, it occurred to me that I don't think we've had anyone on um, who had been hired recently, uh, where where we actually talked about what it's like to get hired at Relevance, and um, and you made a comment at the, when we were talking at the Conj, uh, something along the lines of, yeah, all 16 hours of interviews, or some other reference to the, to the hiring process, and in fact, um, I was happy to be listening to episode one the other day, and, and Justin makes reference to the fact that uh, our hiring practices are um, fairly rigorous. Uh, and, and I thought, since we tend to do things a little differently from most places, that it might be fun to talk about kind of how you came to relevance and what it was like to, to come on board. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess, um, where do we want to start here? Um, before you, Maybe before you got hired, like how did you... Yeah. 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 So, um, I guess from my perspective, I had, um, 
I've been a programmer for, oh, wow, uh, I guess since uh, before high school. Um, I, I'm just, uh, programming's kind of been my thing. And um, recently, well, I guess it would be about uh, two years ago or something, my wife had asked me, you know, so so where do you want to be in five years? What do you want to be doing with your life? And I, um, and I at that time, I said, you know, I'm, I really want to um, uh, be programming in Clojure. That's just something that I want to work towards. And, and I'd been playing around with Clojure for maybe about a year at that point, but not really using it. Um, and then she had asked me, um, at that time too, like, okay, so if you want to get to this goal of working with closure, what company would you like to be working with? And, and I, I said, well, this is company name relevance, but, uh, you know what, they, they'd never hire me. Um, and, uh, she's like, well, you know, let's, let's work towards that goal. And so, um, so for about two years after that, I, I started working just on closure projects, you know, learning closure, uh, working with it. Um, you know, I've been working in C sharp and Python for years. Um, uh, but started working with Closure then, and uh, um, let's see. Um, and then about a year ago is when I started writing the the Closure Pi uh, implementation, just to kind of dig into the internals of Closure. Um, so I, I, at that point, I knew I'd be looking for a job. Um, I guess it would be by sometime in the year 2012. And so I um, uh, was getting ready to just contact Relevance and say, "Hey, here's my resume." I don't know if you guys are looking to hire, but I'm looking to be hired. So here's my information. Um, and uh, I went to the website. Now, look, they have an opening for a closure developer. So that's how I, that process, uh, how I kind of got in contact with, with Relevance. Um, well, you sound so, like you're pretty lucky to have a, a coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, my wife absolutely has, has kind of been that driving uh, uh, force in my life. Um, uh, we kind of, uh, she, you know, I, I think if I was still single, I would be the guy that just kind of sat pounding code quietly every evening by myself, you know, working for some uh, company in the middle of nowhere. But uh, she's really been the one who keeps telling me, no, you know, you can, you can do something better with your life. Um, so that's it's great. It's great to, to have her. Um, uh, so yeah, so I, I um, was surprised not too long after that to get a call. Um, I think I think I got an email back from uh, Relevance uh, saying that you know we're look interested in, in talking to you some more, um, and uh, you know is there a time that we can call you up and and we can chat? And um, so after it would be about a week or so after that, I talked to Naoko, um, uh, who's one of our project coaches. And uh, we chatted for about an hour, and that's kind of when she she introduced me to the entire process uh, that, that Relevance uh, uh, puts their um, uh, interviewees through. Um, and uh, it, yes, it, it's, it's extensive. Um, it's quite extensive. I, I don't think 16 hours is quite an exaggeration either. Um, and um, I, I think that's good, though. I, I've done some interviewing of, of people in the past, and I've I've been through many interviews, and and you know, an hour is just not enough time to understand if someone can program or not. Um, and it's also if you ask someone, say, okay, you have two hours. One hour is going to be spent. Okay, here's a programming problem. Code this up for me. Um, they are going to be so nervous. They're going to do a horrible job and no one's going to be happy with the result. <laughs> right. Um, so I think that's part of the other thing too, is that, is that by the end, and I can go through the more of the process, but yeah. uh, by the end of like the 16 hour process, I felt so comfortable working with the people of relevance that it was, I didn't mind, um, you know, offering suggestions or, 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 uh, things of that nature. Right. And that's, a, that, I think that's a part, big part of it too, is, uh, you know, I mean, we've definitely interviewed people who were technically very strong but there are other aspects you know are we going to be able to work with them are people going to show leadership um 
So I think I, I, I wasn't one of the people that interviewed you, but I suspect that uh, the fact that you were quickly able to get to the point where you were comfortable or offering suggestions was uh, was in your favor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So after after talking to, to Naoko, there's about a week um, uh, gap in there, and I and then then I talked. I did a pairing session with uh, Stuart Sierra, and uh, he was more- that in person or remotely. Remotely, sorry, yeah, remotely. So uh, we both uh, teamuxed into um, the same uh, um, Amazon box, and uh, he just pulled up Emacs and started saying, asking me just general uh, questions about Closure. Uh, gave me a programming problem with Closure, and um, and uh, you know, I think that part is interesting. Um, the the, um, the the part that was, I think, the the most interesting about that was that I had never worked with Tmux before. Um, and it was an Emacs and I had only just begun working with Emacs. I, had, I, I've always just kind of used different text editors for, for closure I use Emacs now. But, um, so I, I felt like at the time, like, boy, I completely messed up that interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I think it was more, it was less about, uh, it was more about the thought process we're going through. Can we, um, you know, how quickly do, does the candidate pick up on, on, uh, some concepts? There were a couple points when Stuart said, okay, I understand what you're, with the direction you're going here with the program, that's not really what I'm asking for. I'm asking for this little bit different way. And I, and I picked up on that and said, Oh yeah, well if, if that other, if you've added that other qualification, I'm, I would go at it this way. And that was the answer he was looking for. Hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, that was, that was more the technical interview of that. Um, so I, I gotta, I gotta ask you. So, um, you know, Stuart's a pretty well-known name in the closure community. Yeah. Um, was it like when you said, Oh, I'm going to be working with Stuart Sierra. Was that, was that a little intimidating for you, or how did that how did that feel? Oh, absolutely, yeah, it, was, it was complete. It was it was. I told my wife, I said, "Yeah, great. I'm going to be interviewed by the guy who wrote the book that I used to learn closure. You know, this is um, this is not. You know, how well do you know the language? Well, this guy wrote the books on closure, so um, it, it was it was a little too intim- Im- intimidating in that regard. But uh, you know, Stuart's a, a a nice guy. Yeah, he puts you at ease pretty quick. So, um, uh, yeah, I thought it was that was good. Um, yeah, I would say in all of those uh, situations, you know, I, that was I think one of the, the main things about coming to relevance is is um, I I have had certain views of of programmers in the closure community um, that you know I, I think I think it's easy on a mailing list when you when you see the code that, that Stuart Sierra Stuart Holloway put out or or you know any of the the people that have been in closure for you know four or five years um, you kind of get this idea of oh wow. These guys are are somehow programming gods, um, and uh, after talking to them, you realize, oh, they're people too. You know? Right. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so yeah. After that, I talked to. Um, uh, so that was that was a technical interview. Uh, after that, we did a pairing session with uh, Tim Ewald, who's uh, one of the architects at, at uh, Relevance, and uh, we worked together on a client project. So in there, I was actually put under um, NDA with Relevance. Um, basically saying that, hey, we're going to have you work on some client projects with our people. Um, you're not allowed to talk about these projects with people outside the company, um, you know, so on and so forth. Um, now, and- now, when you did that, was that – had you come to Durham at that point or was that still remote? Still remote, yeah. Um, in fact, I didn't actually come to Durham until the very last part of this whole process. Um, so this was all remote. Um, once again, the Tmux and, uh, you know, um, on an Amazon box – and uh, Tim and I worked on some stuff, and it, it, that part was good because it was about a two-hour interview, um, and uh, um, basically for the first half of the interview, um, Tim went through and 
just explain the system we were working on. Um, it, you know, it was written in Clojure with Datomic as the back end uh, with database, and we um, we pretty much uh, just went over a lot of the different aspects of the code. Um, and then uh, towards the end, we uh, like the second hour, we actually started working on a bug and uh, and fixing up some stuff. And I think I think that process is really good. You know, I, I was surprised after coming to Relevance how little pairing we do compared to maybe how much we talk about it. Um, uh, pair programming is, I, I think, you know, um, I think it was Justin said this uh, somewhat recently, you know, pair programming is a tool we use. Um, it's not, it's not a doctrine we follow that if we're going to program, we have to have two people working at a computer at a time. It's more of a tool. If it fits, we'll use it. If it doesn't fit, we won't use it. Um, but I think it works really well in interviews because simply throwing a person in front of a client project and saying, hey, here, uh, fix this bug, they're going to be completely lost. Um, whereas the pair programming, it kind of allows the candidate to sit back and if they have initiative, they'll try to jump in and say, hey, here, what about this? Or they'll ask questions, you know, um, I see you're coding up this way, this, this is going to be a performance bug or something along those lines. Um, uh, and so I think it's a good way to kind of gauge someone's um, initiative and how quickly they pick up on problems. Um, so I, I thought that part was, was really good. Yeah. And I know that um, you mentioned that we don't pair as much as we talk about it. I think you're right. I think um, it would be pretty easy listening to the show or looking at our website or whatever to think that we it's 100% of the time, and it's certainly not. I will say that um, that you've been on do, working on stuff where we have tended to pair less. It does go project by project. Certainly I've been on other things where uh, the nature of the work suggested that pairing all the time was a good thing. And so I think you'll find, I, I suspect your perception of it is actually slightly below where the average is. But of course, like everything, and I'm sure you've picked up on this already, we're constantly talking about, is this the right thing? Should we tweak it this way? Should we tweak it this way? Let's try it and see what happens. So Exactly. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, that after saying that, I did spend the first week of my time at Relevance doing nothing but pair programming. So, you know, it, it does come and go. Um, uh, you know, this week I've been working more on uh, just uh, updating tickets for closure and stuff and that sort of thing. There's not much of a uh, use in pair programming. So, right. yeah, that's come and go. Um, so let me see now. Uh, after talking to Tim, I thought there was another step in there I'm missing. But I guess not. Um, yeah, after that, um, uh, I was uh, I, I did an interview with Mike Nygaard, uh, who's our CTO. Um, and uh, by the way, did an awesome presentation at the Closure Con. Yeah, it was good. Put a, a blurb out there for that. And it it was I, I actually liked it because it applies to so many different areas of life and not just uh, um, uh, programming. In fact, I got a whole bunch of friends that know nothing about programming. I'm going to send that talk out too, because it's just great. Um, so back on track. Yeah, I talked to Mike Nygaard for about 45 minutes. It was supposed to be an hour, and he cut it off early, and I thought, oh, great, failed that interview. But I guess it was turned out good after all. Um, and that was much more of a personal um, interview. Uh, it was more questions about um, what type of person are you, um, uh, you know, um, the question that he asked me at one point, which I thought was, was great was, uh, uh, so let's, let's say that, um, you are pairing with somebody and, uh, you have a disagreement and you're in your, uh, coding and, uh, you want to do it one way and your partner wants to do it the other way. 
Uh, and you talk it out, and, and you both decide collectively to go with your solution. And you think it's a it's a, you, something you've come to an agreement on. And you go and you code it up your way, and you commit the code to the source control. And you go home that night, and you come back the next morning and find out that that night, your partner went back through, reversed all your changes, and uh, implemented it his way. You know, what do you do now? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I thought that was, that was a good question. Um, and I, I think I, what I told him was, I said, well, apparently I'm a jerk uh, because he felt like I was so close minded that I wasn't going to listen to his point of view mm-hmm. and my way, you know. Um, but uh, I think I think that sort of question is is something that um, really I think it distills one of the core things that I, I like about working with relevance so far. And I, and I, I try to explain this to people and it's a little bit hard, but um, I've gotten the impression um, and I've only been working with relevance for what, two months, month and a half, somewhere in that range um, that in general, the viewpoint of the company is act like adult. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> um, don't, don't act like a jerk to your coworkers um, and uh, everything's going to be fine. You know um, uh, I'm not sure if, this is ever mentioned on the podcast before, but you know, you walk into the office and uh, there's no cubicles. It's just a desk and anyone can use any desk they want. Um, and uh, certain people prefer to sit in certain places or whatever, but uh, um, it's, it's very much this sort of uh, uh, sort of thing of be, be considerate of other people. Uh, don't don't. And if you have a problem with someone, go and talk to them. And that's, I, I love that. I, I, that's, that's a great, that's a great aspect. Yeah, it's the, I mean, I, I think I have the same impression, and, and it's been explicit. Um, I can't remember whether it came up before or after you started, but there's been an, at least a couple retros where Stuart Justin has said some, you know, words to exactly that effect. Like, this is how we work, people. If you're expecting that you need to go through some chain, there's no chain. There's you and there's your teammates. And you know, if you ask me who my manager is, I don't have a manager, right? I, I have teammates. Uh, we've had the coaches on a few times, um, or we've had Mark on. We've had and we've talked about the coaches a few times. The coaches, developers don't work for the coaches, and that's an intentional thing. Um, it's not that we don't think that they would make great managers if that was called for, but it, it just we're peers and they're handling different things, and I, I think that kind of kind of permeates. So I totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I've had um, people ask me before, um, you know, former coworkers or whatever, like, so you work, you work remotely. I don't think we've mentioned that here. I work remotely from Denver, by the way. So, um, I'm in Denver right now and I don't know where you're at, Craig. I'm in uh, Fairfax, Virginia. So you're our farthest, you are our farthest West employee at this, at this time. All right. Excellent. So, yeah. Um, you know, someone asked me, you know, so, you know, how does that work out? I mean, how do you know, how, how do you know that your employees are getting work done and stuff? And, uh, it's like, well, you, you look at the, the product they produce, and if they're not producing a product, then then why are they still hired? You know, um, I, I think any any amount of manager breathing down their neck isn't necessarily going to make them work any better. So, um, yeah, that's something I've always looked for in companies is, uh, you know, we should we should expect good work ethic and uh, and uh, work with that. Yeah. So, yeah, especially on a Friday. Right. Because, uh, you know, as people know, if who've listened to a few episodes Friday time is um, largely self-directed, and so you know we don't even have the on Friday we don't even have the pressure of a client. We only have our commitment to each other. So you know I I trust that you will be doing things today that will move the the goals of the company forward. Even if that's just for you to get smarter, it's still nothing I 
I wouldn't even think to worry about it. You know, I'll just, oh yeah, Timothy's working on something today that's that's a useful thing. Exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, I guess back to the interview process. So after talking to to Mike, um, uh, let's see here. So I um, at that point was when um, there was about a two or three week gap in there, um, and then Relevance uh, had me fly out. I was living in Wisconsin, uh, Madison area at the time. Had me fly out to. Uh, um, uh, the actual office in Durham and, uh, spend a day there. Um, and while there I paired twice and interviewed with, I think all of the coaches. Um, and, uh, it was, it was just an entire day of, of interview pairing session, interview pairing session. We did a remote pairing session. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, that, that was good. Um, one thing that I, I gave feedback on at that time that I thought was really great was that, uh, afternoon while there, I was able to go back to the project that I worked on with, uh, Tim Ewald. And, uh, and that was great because I was able to kind of jump in there and say, okay, I understand the architecture. Let's just get to work and do stuff. Uh, and so I think that's something that they've talked about, uh, uh continuing with, um, uh, other interviewees as, as kind of, um, uh, keeping some consistency so it's not always an introduction to a new project as part of the pairing session. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I mean, the uh, I should mention, too, I didn't go through this interview process. I knew Justin and Stu from way back, so I started as a contractor on the strength of that relationship, and then you know, I essentially had like a four-month interview process where I was just working on projects, and by the end of that, I think it was you know the people that needed to have a conversation about whether I was a good fit already had the information they needed but uh but I think that's a great idea because you know I mean the nature of consulting right is sometimes you get you have to get pulled off a project maybe PTO but maybe there's some other work that needs to be done and then you come back to it that's that's a common dynamic for us absolutely yeah and i would say that's that's probably the impression i got as well is that is that relevance will tailor this whole process to the individual as well um i I would say that I felt the interview was a little light on maybe on the technical side of things. Um, I wasn't really quizzed a whole lot of, you know, all right, sit down, describe to me the, the different reference types in closure or, you know, what is a persistent data structure or so on and so forth. Um, but I think the reason for that is that it's like part of my resume when I had submitted information to relevance and said, Hey, here's my GitHub. And as you can see, I've really committed nothing but closure and Python code for the past year or something. Um, you know, so that, that part of it was maybe a little less needed. Um, I, I'm just guessing there. No, no, but, we, we totally look at that stuff. Yeah. So I think that's good. Um, cool. So, so this, so you spent a whole day, like you said, you were pairing, there were interviews with the coaches. Um, I assume somewhere in there you had a conversation with, um, uh, maybe somebody from HR or some of the more administrative aspects as well. Yeah, yeah, I did HR, um, and, uh, and and you know a lot of the a lot of the interviews too. So like with the pro the coaches were a lot more of the personal questions of, um, you know, uh, how do you get along with people? Has there ever been a time that that you know uh, someone just didn't like the work you did at all, and what did you do about it, and uh, so on and so forth? Um, and then I did have interviews with the HR people, and and that was much more around. Um, uh, I'm trying to, oh, uh, yeah, okay, so you're going to be working remotely, you're going to be out in Denver, possibly, uh, you know, two-hour difference, are you going to be okay with that, um, just just things of that nature. How are you working with clients? That's that's another aspect of, of relevance, you know, is that we, we don't really, 
uh, we don't really work on internal project. Well, internal projects don't make that much money for us. You know, <laughs> uh, we, we work for clients. We're a, a consulting company, and so uh, there were questions along that nature. Have you worked with with clients before? Um, have you worked with difficult clients? Clients that want to be too involved in projects, not enough involved. Um, and I had some background there in that I've I've worked with. Um, smaller consulting companies, maybe four employees or so, uh, where we did everything from IT administration to development, and um, and uh, had some direct experience working with clients where I was more or less the we wore one person wore all the hats in, in the job, um, and uh, you know I don't know that that situation is one I want to get back into um, because I'm not really a salesman or a good project manager necessarily. Um, but, uh, definitely doing the development side of things is, uh, I have no problem working with, with, uh, clients, uh, from a development side. So, yeah, I mean, like you say, we do have, we do have coaches and they certainly, um, you know, have a, a fair amount of responsibility around, uh, helping things go smoothly between the customers and us. But, but at the same time, you know, like I said, it's it's flat, right? Like every the whole team has responsibility for making things go well, and that means that, you know, uh, developers who are super technically skilled but who cannot speak to clients, yeah, exactly. that, that's not really that's not really a good fit for us. Like we don't we don't really want to put people in the corner and lob requirements documents over to them, and they fire back completed products, and someone interprets that to the to the client. That's not, you know, like we have stand-up, right, in the morning, or typically in the morning with the client. The developers are there, and the customer is there, and everybody's talking to each other. So it's kind of a useful skill that people can communicate effectively and listen effectively. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, that's an important aspect of, of um of consulting is it's just communication. Um, can you can you make fee- people feel comfortable talking to you and, and not talk down to them? You know that's that's something I uh, working in a consulting company I tried to gauge is is uh, when you're talking to a client I would look at their face and as I'm talking I would notice that either they would slowly become more interested in what I was saying, which means that I need to maybe go deeper into some, into what I'm talking about, or you'd see the eyes start to glaze over and they'd kind of get bored. Like, okay, let's back off the technical details. This they're not interested in this, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that, that skill like that is, is always good to have when working with clients. For sure. Um, yeah. So, uh, after that, uh, you know, after that, that one day, um, um, I think it was another two weeks or so before, um, we kind of talked again and, and uh, worked out all the details of the hiring, um, the actual hiring. So, you know, all told, I think the entire process was about two and a half months, I want to say. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was quite long. Um, you know, I from, a, from the perspective of someone being hired, that was brutal. It was two and a half months. <laughs> I was like, okay. If any, I mean, if they offer me a job, I'm going to take it. So I don't really want to go out to any other company and, you know, <laughs> and uh, get deep in interview process. But I'm, I'm looking for jobs, so I need to continue the process. You know, I, I understand from a company perspective, that's that's the way it has to be. And I think that's actually pretty short compared to what I've heard from, you know, go talk to, to Microsoft or Google or something. And you may be waiting for half a year to a year from what I understand. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have too much to compare that to, but, uh, um, yeah. Well, that's good feedback. I mean, I think, uh, you know, obviously the primary concern is to, to hire people that, um, they're going to be a good fit. And, uh, 
you know, I've thought about this before because I've I've uh, participated in the, in the interview process from the other side, and and it's tricky because you know there are times when you know you, you talk to a lot of people during the course of your of your interview, and that's important to us because although we're at a size now where we can't have every candidate talk to every person. Um, we certainly want to make sure that a lot of different people talk to to the candidates, uh, especially the ones that you know make it through the initial screening. And uh, you know, we're I, I you know I it's, I feel like we're pretty pretty selective. And as a result, there have been people that have come through the process where I've been like, yeah, I think we should hire that person. Um, and and the consensus is not that, and the person doesn't get hired. And I and I feel like uh, well, you know, that's just kind of a function of the more selective you are, the more false negatives, I think I have that right, false negatives you're going to have, right? The, the more people that you're going to um, say, I'm sorry, we're not we're not going to we're not going to choose to work with you, even though, you know, it, it might have worked out, right? Or it would have worked out. So um, it's it's a tricky process. And and a result of that is that it takes a while. Also, you know, because because we are a consulting company, we have to be very respectful of clients time and make sure that we uh, you know that we're not dragging developers off to do all the interviews when they should be producing, uh, you know, uh, work for uh, for a client. So, so anyway, yeah, it's it's tough, man. Uh, it, I've been on the other side of it, and uh, it 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 is occasionally really hard, and there is a lot of discussion and a lot of thought that goes into it, and 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 we we take any comments along the lines of, uh, you know, let's put it this way: when we're sitting around discussing a candidate. Um, it really has to be the case that a lot of people have to be sure that we want to work with this person, not just, I think they might be okay, or I have some reservations, or, you know, they seemed fine. It really has to be, this guy is going to make the company better, so, uh, uh, or this person is going to make the company better. I mean, and, and I, you know, <laughs> that's, I think, why you and I both have this impression, which is everyone at the company is awesome to work with. Uh, Maybe people are tired of hearing us say that on the podcast, but you know we we have worked pretty hard to get to that place, right? Where where you can look around and go, "Yep, everyone rocks." So anyway, I'm kind of gushing a little bit, but uh, so so I wonder if there's anything else that you could um, that you could add uh, in terms of feedback. I mean, you mentioned one one thing, but what what else could we do to make that whole process better? You know, I. What's hard for me with a question like that is that my previous experience with interviews were normally one to two hours, um, and I, I, I've worked for you know like headhunt not like worked for the headhunting company, but been like placed by a headhunter company before, and and it's you know those interviews are much like you know how many years experience do you have in Microsoft technologies? Well, that's a worthless interview. I'm sorry, but you know the you know nothing about my ability to code, you know right. And, and so this is kind of the other extreme um, in that regard. I don't really have a whole lot to, bad to say about it. You know, I I think you're right. I think we would maybe with the, how long the process is, we'd scare off some people. Um, you know, if, if it's like, okay, I can interview for 16 hours of relevance or I can interview for two hours with this other company. Um, why not go with a company that interviews less? You know, I'm not sure if that's, I'm I'm so questioning, so working this out in my own mind. If that's a bad thing, it's I, not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't. If that's somebody's attitude, then uh, then I, I wish them luck. Exactly. Um. And so from that regard, you know, I don't really have a whole lot to. Bad. 
like I'm going to qualify once again when I said, you know, that other process of, you know, I mentioned two and a half months was a long time to wait. But on the other hand, someone comes up to me and says, hey, do you think we should change that and just do a whirlwind interview process over two weeks with the person? I'll say, you know, no, I, I think we should stick with the way it was with the process I went through. Um, now, is that because I just feel like that if I had to go through it, the next guy should too? Maybe. Um <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I don't know that that's a bad thing. It 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 it, uh, it gives people time to think about it. Um, you don't want to make hasty decisions. Um, you don't want to just oh, we have room for another developer. Let's just fill the seat with the first person that comes along. Um, now, on the other hand, you don't want to just reject the first person that comes along because you know you need to make sure you uh, you know you don't want to reject them outright because oh, there's plenty of other people to choose from. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, let me think, though. Well, you can put that in the back of your head. We can always come back to it, because there's one other thing I want to talk to you about as well. Um, unless, as, as long as we're on the topic of interviews and assuming you don't have any other things to add on the, this current point, is there anything else you wanted to mention about the interview process? or? Uh... Um, no, I, I think I think it. Uh, like I said, it, I, they, I was asked halfway through the process uh, when I was there for the the, the full day. Um, you know, are you completely nervous? Or are you? You know, how's this going? I'm like, no, this is this has actually been pretty great. I'm not not nervous at all. Um, and I think that's that's really good. You know what? What I I think went really well was when I got into the office the first day. It was just like, okay, you're going to do a pairing session, and I sat down with. Um, uh, Clinton, who has since uh, moved on uh, to a different company, or actually works for the government, I think now. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, uh, he was working on um, what is now part of Diametric, um, which is the Ruby uh, Datomic interface. So you can you can work with Datomic from Ruby on Rails, and uh, and uh, that project's now headed up by Yoko, and I, I think she's recently um, got it to the point where. Um, you can actually build a Rails app off of it. I don't know much about Ruby. Um, but anyway, we sat down and, and he basically said, hey, I'm writing this um, this Eden, uh, Eden reader uh, in Ruby. Um, you wrote a, you know, a uh, closure parser in Python for ClojurePy. Um, let's, uh, let's sit down and look at this together, you know? And I think that was great is that he knew kind of what my skill set were, maybe some things I'd worked on in the past. And it was much more of let's, let's work together on this. So right there off the bat, I'm put at ease saying, okay, this guy isn't so much drilling me as asking my advice on things. And I'm sure he's, you know, going to be asked questions about <laughs> if I know what I'm talking about later on. But, uh, I thought that was great. That was a good, good thing. Cool. Well, you you mentioned Closure Pie at the top, and you mentioned it again now, and, and I have to say, like, I'm super interested to talk about that as well. So maybe we can leave the interview aspect behind right now. If anything occurs, you will come back to it. But uh, I, I so maybe not everybody that's listening knows uh, about Closure Pie. I wonder if you, and in fact, I don't really know that much about it. So if you could kind of explain what it is and your role in its development, that'd be great. Sure. So. Um... I should qualify all of this um, at, at, at the con. I was talking to Rich Hickey, and he actually, actually asked me, so, you know, why close your pie? It's basically what he said, I think. Um, and uh, the main goal of, of close your pie was really to... Just, sorry, real quickly. What is close your pie in case anybody doesn't know? Pie is an implementation of closure that runs on the Python virtual machine. Gotcha. Qualifications for this. A, 
I love compilers. I love to investigate compilers, see how they work, um, just play around with them. Um, second of all, um, at the time I started writing Closure Pi, I wasn't exactly um, a closure guru. I'm probably still not. Um, but uh, it was it was a good way for me to kind of dig down into the internals of how closure works. If I'm going to rewrite closure on a different platform, I'm going to have to read the majority of the source code. It was kind of my thought process. Um, so this was actually one of many attempts I'd had to run closure on a different platform. Um, and a couple things that running it on Python gave me was uh, a, uh, a working virtual machine. So I had a garbage collector, a, um, uh, you know, a, a type system, um, and also uh, Python's highly dynamic. So I could actually generate code on the fly, new code, and kind of um, uh, you, you could use do stuff like eval um, on the platform. Um, and so I started working on it. Um, at that time, um, ClojureScript... Uh, this would be about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago uh, from now. Um, uh, ClojureScript was not at the place where you could put a different backend on it. Um, and it wasn't even close to being self-hosted. And so I didn't actually take the route of going doing anything with ClojureScript. And instead, I actually did closer to what Clojure on the .NET does, uh, Clojure CLR, mm -hmm. and re-implement the entire thing from scratch. Um and uh, so I started with the data structures and, um, and worked up to the reader. Um, and then from a reader, implemented a, a compiler that could take, you know, S expressions and stuff and compile it to Python code. Um, and that took about two months, I think it was. Um, and then uh, after that, uh, it was just slowly, ever so slowly translating core.clj. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, at this point, it, it actually works. There's a couple people that are that are using it, mostly because its memory footprint is way below what Closure on the JVM has. Um, besides that, eh, there's not too much offer there. Um, I, I, it was more of a, an experiment for me. Um, I at one point I had to debug the you know the uh, uh, persistent hash maps, and I, I'm still in awe at that code that Rich Hickey wrote in in uh, Closure for that because that code is is mind bending, but I still don't understand it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you, yeah. but you, imp you have, so it has persistent collections though, your implementation. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of people are like, wow, you know, you, you, it, there's a lot of work that's done there. And I, I kind of have to say, well, all I really did was look at the J the Java code and translate it to corresponding Python code. But of course it, it didn't always work. There were small differences. Um, one, one classic example of this is, uh, um, is, how hashes are implemented in Java um, will do things like add this hash uh, code to this hash code. And in Java, the if there's extra bits that fall off the end of the integer, they'll just get chopped off. And in Python, it just makes a bigger integer. Um, so there's little things like that um, that um, make it interesting to port. And you can debug afterwards. <laughs> I actually have a question about that. So, because I, when I look at, so the two major other implementations of Clojure, um, other than the JVM, well, I shouldn't say that. There's one major other one, which is the um, Clojure script. Uh, and then there is a bunch of other interesting ones, including, including Clojure CLR. When I look at Clojure CLR versus something like Clojure script, one of the differences I see is that um, in Clojure script, I get the impression that there was more uh, redesign. Right, there was more. Let's change the, let's change what we're building to m embrace the platform more directly. 
Whereas Clojure CLR is, as you say, uh, a bit more of a straight port. And so some of the JVM semantics, uh, more of the JVM semantics come over into Clojure CLR than I think come over into um, Clojure Script. Which, which, which of those approaches did you take or did you feel that tension? Yeah, I did. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, and that's one of the difficulties with a project like this. Um, and it is that there, there are big differences, platform differences between Java and CLR, you know, um, there's going to be people that want to crucify me for this, but there's not a whole lot of difference between the JVM and the CLR when it comes down to implementing a language on them. There, there are differences. I understand that. But, you know, compare it to the Python virtual machine. <laughs> there's not that many differences. Um, and, and a classic example of this is that we have this um, um, uh, interface in Clojure on the JVM called uh, IFN, which has like 20 methods, invoke with one argument, invoke with two arguments, invoke with three, four, five, all the way up to 20, and so on. You don't need that in Python. In, in Python, any object can have a underscore, underscore, call, underscore, underscore method, and if you call an object as if it were a function, that method gets invoked. Um, and so suddenly, parts of, of whole sections of, of um the closure code look radically different. In fact, I think on in general, um, I noticed about the, the Python code was about a third of the size of the uh, Java code. Um, now, that being said, if I were to redo this today, um, I would definitely go with actually implementing a Python backend for ClojureScript um, and, and going that route. I think ClojureScript really is a is an awesome awesome platform. And there's been some strides um, to make ClojureScript uh, self-hosting, um, at least on like Node.js and stuff. And that's, I think, where we need to go. Um, someone was asking on the mailing list recently about this. Um, and, and David Nolan, I think, said, you know, if we can get self-hosting uh, ClojureScript, implementing a different backend is trivial. And he's absolutely right. Um, if we can get to that point, I basically would need to write a Python backend that's going to be, you know, 400 lines of code, maybe up to a thousand lines of code, um, and that's it. Suddenly, we have closure on the Python virtual machine, and there's very little maintenance that needs to be done, um, and that that's awesome. You know? Is that? But but is that? It, so now the question I have is, if we have that, which I think is a worthy goal, if for no other reason than I think. Uh, uh, it's worth pursuing what it means to decouple ClojureScript from the JVM because you still need Java to run the compiler. Right, and so that's what they're working on right now is removing that constraint. Um, so, but even if you did that, once you have a backend that emits whatever, are you are you firmly in the camp of every implementation is a port? And carries with it some of the semantics of the the JVM version, or or can you get to that? What I think is the right place, which is the the closure script place of you embrace the platform. Yeah, you're going to need to embrace the platform, and that's that's definitely true. That's that's actually one of the problems right now 
um, with ClojureScript. And I, I, I hesitate to say problem, actually, because th the fact is, is that it wasn't written to be a self-hosting compiler. That wasn't a design goal originally. Um, so you're going to notice some things. Uh, the thing I love to point out is is the compiler itself does like Java string concatenation. You know, it'll, like, it'll create like a string builder or something and concatenate strings together or, or whatever. Okay, great. That, oh, that's something we need to rip out and put somewhere else. So what I think is going to happen at some point is we'll have like a namespace in ClojureScript where you'll have to re-implement a certain core function. Here's how we can concatenate strings. Here's how we do a regex or whatever. Um, and then we'll create a backend that would go to a specific, you know, back uh, platform, whether it's Python or, or uh, JavaScript or whatever. Um, and then you would compile the compiler to that um, new backend. And then you kind of have a full implementation on that platform. but are, but are there places even even deeper than than you know generating bytecode i mean i think about an interop for example if i wanted to move you know interop is fundamentally what it's the dot operator new and dot are the kind of the atoms there and and those sort of have the semantics of i create an object and then i invoke a method on that object um that's kind of fundamental i mean well i guess you, you still have statics but but I'm wondering, like, if you were to, to implement the platform, say, on a native C version, which I think there's something like that, um, what do those kind of interop semantics mean when C doesn't really have a sense of objects? Yeah, so you're going to... So, so one thing that we should mention here is that... Um, let me back up one more step. So I have a lot of interest in this, and this is actually something I'm playing around with right now, is to use LLVM for this sort of thing. So I have a, a very, very basic, um, uh, something that can comp compile S expressions to LLVM code and uses core logic to do some type inference and stuff. Um, uh, so the, the key thing, though, to remember about this is that ClojureScript itself doesn't really use object-oriented programming so much. What it what it has at its core is protocols. It's based off of protocols, and protocols are are based on the idea of polymorphic functions. So you have a function that reacts differently based upon its first argument. That is very required for any platform. So if yes, if you were going to implement this to put out to see, you're going to have to sit down and figure out some way to do polymorphic functions in in uh, in C. Um, now, doing that isn't necessarily that hard, in my opinion. I mean, Objective-C has that. Almost every language has that. Um, uh, so that that is, prob that is something that has to be solved, um, as well as garbage collection for C. But um, yeah, so I think um, I overheard Rich talking about this at the Conj, but he basically said, uh, you know, whatever platform you port ClojureScript to, you're going to need to have fast dispatch of some sort. Um, on the JVM, we do this with um, with interfaces. That's, um, you know, interface definitions. That's kind of how it's done on the JVM. In ClojureScript, it's done just with objects, but you and ClojurePy is done with objects, but you can really do it however you want. Cool. So, um, so where's ClojurePy at? I mean, you mentioned that there's some people maintaining it. It sounds like you're still toying with related ideas. Is is it something that you would recommend that people use? I mean, kind of where is that project at? Uh, so use in production. No, I don't recommend that at all. <laughs> um, uh, however, what I think it does, it is good for, um, is there's, I was talking to someone, and I'm sorry, I forgot your name, um, uh, at the conch, um, 
because uh, I'm horrible with names. Uh, and uh, he was saying that he does some work at Hacker School and that they've actually recommended to a couple of their, their Python people who are interested in Clojure to work with ClojurePy. And I think the benefit there is is that ClojurePy is small, really small. It's like 10 kilobytes zipped. I, I don't know what it is unzipped, but I think it's, you know, uh, the compiler is... To give us some idea here, the compiler is around like 1,500 lines of code, I think, and the closure compiler is 10,000 lines of code. Um, so if you want to go in and toy around with adding some new aspect of closure, or you want to look at persistent data structures or or something along those lines, you know, I, I would recommend it for that. Um, uh, a friend of mine uh, said, you know, I would rather read Python code than Java code. So if I want to go and figure out how um, you know, vectors work. Um, I'm going to go read ClojurePy source code instead of instead of the Java source code, um, and I think that's fine. You know, it's not it's not very fast. It's not at all um, robust. So I don't necessarily recommend it for production. Um, and I think long term, if we want to continue some you know version of Clojure on Python, um, we're going to go with uh, going with ClojureScript is going to be the the right route to go there. Gotcha. I mean, the, I mean, I can imagine a bunch of people coming to Clojure and saying. Because, you know, Python is fairly commonly used for uh, numeric computation um, because of NumPy, right? Mm -hmm. um, I could see people coming to Clojure and saying, oh, that's cool. Um, Clojure's pretty good, but, you know, even Java isn't good enough for me. I need NumPy and, and wondering, well, could I get the benefits of a more powerful language like Clojure but still be able to, to get um, the Python numerics that I like? Exactly. Um, and that's one thing I'll mention here, too, is that the if nothing else, you should check out ClojurePy because the, the interop story with ClojurePy is just amazing. Um, and I didn't write most of the code for that, so I can, uh, I can say that it's amazing. Um, but uh, what you can actually do is you can download ClojurePy. So you can go, go to your command line and you type in um, easy install ClojurePy, I think it is. Um, and that's the, the Python installer framework. It downloads ClojurePy, installs it into Python. You type in Python, and then all you do is import Clojure.core, and you have Clojure. Or from Clojure.core, import star, and now you have all of the Clojure functions in Python, and they react just like Python functions. Um, so there's no, you know, um, cons.invoke whatever. They're, they're actual Python functions. So you mm. can actually use the entire closure um, source code from within Python and vice versa. Um, so what we worked a little bit uh, very hard on actually was that Python has import hooks. So when a person says import this module, you can actually tap into that uh, those mechanics. And so we, we did tap into it and say, if you don't find a Python file, look for a closure file. And if you find a closure file, file um, compile it and use that module um, instead of what the Python code was. So once the system's up and running and those hooks are installed, uh, you really can't tell the difference between Clojure and Python code. That's super cool. I mean, I know I've gotten a teeny tiny taste of that, uh, the utility of that other direction. When I'm, when I'm working with ClojureScript, sometimes I'll just open up the, the, uh, the, the JavaScript console and I'll type you know, clgs.core.first or whatever and, and work with the closure script objects directly uh, from from JavaScript. It's not the world's most convenient thing. It sounds like you've gone that one better, but it, it does it does come in handy even to that limited extent uh, quite often. Absolutely, yeah. And it's very close to very close to um, um, what, what ClojurePy has. So, um, yeah. Cool. 
Well, this has been really interesting. Um, I, I, is there is there anything we I, we missed? Is there any question I should have asked you, or anything you want to mention about Closure Pie or the interview process, or what what else should we talk about before we go? Wow, yeah, um, I'm not, I'm not sure here. Uh, yeah, it's 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 fun, you know. I, I've um, someone asked me recently, you know, why Closure, and I think I think the biggest thing for me about Closure is that this is I've learned. Uh, I forget how many languages now, and and Clojure is really the first language that I I just haven't found hit a wall yet. I just there's always something to learn, and there's always something that is expands the mind, and um, um, I think that's what got me started in Lisp in general. I was I was going to mention this in this inter, in this uh, uh, podcast, but uh, um, I enjoy quotes from programming languages, and. Um, let me find this one. I think Paul Graham um, was uh, there's a paulgram.com uh, is is has some quotes on his site there and uh, um, you know good quote about Lisp. Alan Kay said this Lisp is the greatest single programming language ever designed um, and uh, Lisp isn't a language is a building material you know and and I, I I was reading these quotes you know, five years ago or something and I thought okay what is this language called Lisp and then you know Eric Raymond said this famous quote Lisp is worth learning for the profound enlightenment experience uh, you will have when you finally get it that experience that will make you a better programmer for the rest of your days even if you never actually use Lisp itself a lot and so um, you know if if people don't know closure I would very highly encourage them to go and learn it. I, it, it's blown my mind so many times. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I think it's funny because, um, you know, those quotes are aimed at uh, the lispiness of Lisp. But Clojure, I think, actually uh, did that for me. Like you, I was a C-sharp guy for a long time. I didn't do Python. But, um, you know, so there's the lispiness, right? The macros and metaprogramming and code is data. But then you've also got... Um, you know, immutability and persistent data structures and sane concurrency semantics and you know, embracing the runtime and awesome interop and just all these things. It's like each one of those is worth knowing. If, I, I will say for me <laughs> that um, the fact that I like Clojure so much is a two-edged sword because I really know that I really ought to learn Haskell. Um, despite Ambrose's great work on type Clojure, which is really interesting, I do think it would be good for me as a programmer to go off and and see what um, a very powerful type system can do for you. Uh, maybe we have that now, um, but I still feel like learning Haskell would be would be good, and I just can't motivate myself to do it anymore because I'm like, you know what, I've already got a language I really like, and and there's all sorts of frontiers left to explore in it. So <laughs> it's been demotivating in that perspective, but I guess that's not the worst thing that could happen to me. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. You know, um, uh, Lisp is liberating in how dynamic it is. Um, and and I've thought of that as well as that. Well, my, my view of type systems is highly tainted by the fact that the only type system I really know is is the CLR, um, which according to the Haskell people wouldn't really be a type system. Um, but uh, you know, and so I, I too have wanted to. I've got a little bit of a of, of a taste from that from some dabbling in F sharp I've done, which has a little bit more robust type system I think. Um, but uh, yeah, I've, I've, I have the same feeling. I'd love to go learn Haskell, but uh, um, haven't forced myself to do it yet yeah one of these days, one of these days yes. <laughs> cool well this has been awesome i don't want to i don't want to take up too much more of your time but uh is there is there anything else that you're working on or anything else you want to mention or ask before we go uh no that, that, i think that's that's pretty it that's pretty much it i um 
yeah, uh, I've been digging into core logic. I think that's um, cool stuff um, and trying to figure out how that can be useful in everyday uses and slowly finding places where I can fit it in. So that's good. Awesome. Well, I do have one more question for you before we go, of course, which is on the way out here, we're going to play some music. You are picking the music. What are we playing? Yes. Yeah, so um, we're going to play a song uh, from the album Distant Worlds. Um, the name of the song is Don't Be Afraid by Ubono Umeatsu. And our my Japanese coworkers will probably cringe at that pronunciation. Um, but uh, I, I need to explain a little bit why I like this song. Um, so uh, this composer uh, is famous for writing a lot of um, uh, songs for video games. And uh, this song in specifically is from Final Fantasy. It's orchestra orchestral arrangement of his song. Um, so why do I like this? Um, a lot of music out there is written in, in very common rhythms. Um, one of the most famous is like 4-4 four, four time, which is 1-2-3-4, 1-2-3-4. Uh, this song is written in 5-4 time which is one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. So built into the song is syncopation um, at a very um, core level of, of this, this music. So um, yeah, that's why I like the song. That's cool. Awesome. I love Odd Time Meters myself. Uh, the one that always comes to my mind is uh, Money by Pink Floyd, which is in seven. So that's great. We're bringing that up in the background. Uh, Timothy, I have to thank you a ton for coming on the show. I, uh, I wanted to talk to you because, um, you know, you're a recent hire, and that was great to talk to you about that stuff, but the Close Your Pie stuff, I'd only barely looked at it, and it's just, it's neat to talk to you because it sounds like a fascinating project, and your insights are, are really interesting, and I think they're especially important right now as ClojureScript is um, is becoming more and more um, uh, an important part of the Closure landscape. I think anytime we look at other languages, there's there's awesome lessons to learn there, and I'm, I'm looking forward to... Um, uh, reaping the benefits of the work that people like David Nolan and you are are, are doing in, in moving that forward. So, very cool. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. It's been fun. All right, great. And we'll thank everyone else for listening. This has been Think Relevance, the podcast.